Welcome to OCDQ Radio, a podcast from OCDQ Blog. Obsessive Compulsive Data Quality. OCDQ Radio is a vendor neutral podcast about data quality and its related disciplines, including data governance, master data management, and business intelligence. OCDQ Radio is produced and hosted by Jim Harris, the blogger in chief at Obsessive Compulsive Data Quality. OCDQBlog.com. On this episode of OCDQ Radio, we're going to talk about doing data governance. And for this discussion, I am pleased to be joined by a very special guest. John Ladley is a business technology thought leader with over 30 years of experience in improving organizations through the successful implementation of information systems. He is a recognized authority in the use and implementation of business intelligence and enterprise information management. John Ladley frequently writes and speaks on a variety of technology and enterprise information management topics. His information management experience is balanced between strategic technology planning, project management, and most important, the practical application of technology to business problems. John Ladley, welcome back to OCDQ Radio. I'm delighted to be back. The last time we had you on, we talked about your previous book, Making Enterprise Information Management Work for Business. And this time, we're going to talk about your new book about how to design, deploy, and sustain an effective data governance program. Which begs the initial question, wasn't there a chapter about data governance in your first book? So why a a whole book about data governance? I was still really angry. So I (laughs) I had more left. No, seriously, when I wrote the data governance chapter, and the first book was so large anyway, I had a lot of material left. And then a lot more has been happening with data governance. It has taken on a stride of visibility to the higher levels of organizations. So that's how the second book came about. It is a fascinating book because unlike some other treatises on data governance, which tend to be a little bit more high level and more towards bromides about why you should do data governance, the subtitle of your book is How to Design, Deploy, and Sustain an Effective Data Governance Program. So this is very much a how-to-do data governance book, correct? Right. It was a deliberate move. I had read a lot of the bromide-type books that were out there and realized that nothing really told anyone how to do this. My own personal philosophy is to be very practical and very focused and make sure that value is added. The other thing was I'd been noticing when shops were doing quote-unquote data governance, they spent a limited amount of time designing it, a certain amount of time launching it, and then awful lot of time sitting back and waiting for something magic to happen. And I was seeing a lot of organizations call me and they were, this is the second time we've tried this. This is the third time we've tried it and we can't call it data governance because if we call it data governance, I'll get fired. Um, (laughs) a, A lot of that. So I'm like, okay, what went wrong the first time? And then you look at it and it was, they read a bunch of bromides and thought that's all there was to it and just said, okay, you're a steward. Here's some principles. And everyone go forth and govern. Even the people that write the so-called bromide books, you do have to have books that define things. You do have to have books that tell you how to sell the concept and explain the concept. So those are necessary books. But there wasn't anything that said, all right, you've got the green light. Now what do you do? And that's what this book is. 
This book starts out, there's a few things on the business case, but there's even a cross-reference to Gwen Thomas's life cycle. She has a series of steps in the, in the life cycle of a governance program. And we just say halfway into Gwen cycle is where we pick up. Everything before that, go read another book. We say a few words about it, but then we pick up where you've got the green light to go do it. Because that's where an awful lot of mistakes are made, is when you sit in a room and say, now what do we do? So that's what I addressed. Well, I definitely agree, John. There is a lot of value in resources that can help you get to that point where you got the green light to go ahead with a data governance program. And I definitely agree that that is where a lot of programs don't proceed very effectively from that starting point. And as you mentioned, a great resource for anyone who is looking for help with a full data governance framework and some of those preliminary aspects are that are the precursor to John's book. Check out the Data Governance Institute by Gwen Thomas which you can find online at datagovernance.com. One of my favorite quotes in your book is actually in the chapter where you talk about definitions and concepts of data governance. You say, Metaphors are hard to implement. Why don't we try to start off with a good working definition of data governance? The elevator speech is data governance are the principles, policies, and procedures on how to manage information as an asset. That's my 20-word or less definition. Now, there's two really critical concepts behind that, though, and this is the first spot the mistakes are made, and that is that data governance is not information management. Data governance is how do you manage your information, and information management is actually managing the asset. A good 60% of my clients right now are not IT. They are business leadership and IT has a minor or non-existence role in, in the programs. But they bring you in saying, we need governance, but we wouldn't know a governance if it bit us. So one metaphor that works really well with a lot of my clients, I say, look at it this way. You have accountants, right? And accountants take care of the financial assets. They look at the books. They do the balancing. You also have auditors. Auditors work on two levels. First of all, auditors say, here are policies and principles that apply to financial bookkeeping and fiduciary responsibility. And second of all, they make sure that you do that. It's called an audit. So governance is auditing and information management is accounting. But instead of a financial asset, it's your data assets. I love the metaphor of the auditing and accounting, the difference between data governance and information management when we get into more of a look at the functions that are involved. And I was wondering if we could maybe go over some of those so that people get a bit of a better understanding of exactly what that delineation is between data governance and how that's different than the information management. Sure. When you're building out your functional model of your governance program, first of all, let's understand what functional means. Functional means what are you doing? Not how you're doing it, but just what are you doing? I deliberately take the reader through steps of what do you do and then how do you do that? And that is done with great deliberation because you have to understand there's a bunch of things or activities that the governing body or bodies will do. And there's a bunch of things in response to governance guidelines or policies and principles that everyone else in the organization is going to do. And you need to make sure that those are identified and, and segregated and understood as two separate streams of thought. I use the metaphor of the letter V. 
Imagine a large letter V on a piece of paper. The left side of that V are the functions and activities that the data governance body needs to do to make the governance program happen. The activities and functions on the right side we'll call the information management side, which is all the activities of taking care of the information asset at the behest and guidelines of the left-hand side. And these, of course, come together at the bottom. Well, what happens at the bottom, that's the intersection of guideline and practice. That's the intersection of audit and accounting. It's the intersection of principle and action. So your stewards or your data architects or your data cleansers or your BI people or whoever is doing stuff with it are down there at the bottom where, where these things come together. So what you have is data governance being consciously designed as a program. And as any other program has in it, it has separations of duties. Again, going back to the accounting metaphor, if you have someone doing it, you have to have someone auditing it. When I do a talk or a class, I, I talk about the example of balancing petty cash. Do the outputs and the inputs and the receipts all add up? If the person that maintained the petty cash drawer was the person that balanced the petty cash drawer, you would have a perfectly balanced approved petty cash drawer with nothing in it because you don't have a separate, you don't have a separation of duties. And we all understand this in business. We understand when you get a letter from an auditor for your bank statement saying, Is your, are your bank statements right? You know that the auditors are doing their jobs. We don't argue with that. It's the same thing with the information asset. The people that are actually touching it and moving it around and doing things with it cannot definitionally, by principle, be the same people that are telling them what to do with that. There has to be a separation of duties. That doesn't mean you need a whole new organization to do this, but you need to have built-in separation of duties. So when you're talking about functional design, that's the first thing you understand. That there's a bunch of functions that the governing body or the governance office or your councils or whatever you end up calling them, they will do their thing, but they won't be actually managing data. They won't be executing data quality profiles, for example. But they will be saying that when you do data quality profiling, this is what you do with the results. And when I start to explain the functional design first from that sense of deliberation, the light bulb goes on. You have to get that list of what is done before you begin to even nibble at all on the how and the who. You're listening to OCDQ Radio, a vendor-neutral podcast about data quality and its related disciplines from the Obsessive Compulsive Data Quality blog produced by Jim Harris. Visit ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast to find ways to subscribe to OCDQ Radio and get links to the blog post summaries of every episode. You'll also find ways to contact me, Jim Harris, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you would like to discuss sponsorship opportunities. So be sure to visit ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast for more information about OCDQ Radio. And now, back to the show. On this episode of OCDQ Radio, we are discussing data governance with John Ladley, author of a new book about how to design, deploy, and sustain an effective data governance program. Before the break, John Ladley made the important point that data governance is not the same thing as information management. 
Data governance and information management are interrelated disciplines, but there is a separation of duties between them. Where data governance is about what are the right things to do, and information management is about how to do things right. As our discussion continues, John Ladley is going to take us through some examples of the planning, design, managing, and operational functions associated with data governance and information management. Quick way to look at the governance side of the overall data governance operating framework is making sure what the right things to do are. So from planning, that would be, what do we have to do for oversight? What are we overseeing? Which information assets are super critical? Which information assets are to be managed in a federated fashion? What are our priorities? How does that line up with our business strategy? Now, no one is talking about buying a tool. No one is talking about what data dictionary to use or anything like that. We're talking about making sure that what we're doing with our information and how we take care of our information is supportive of the business. And we set forth the priorities and some guidelines for people to use. On the other side, it's not so much what are the right things to do, but do those things right. The planning function would be just like any other area. If it's the CIO, it's, well, does my information architecture align with the business strategy? And so the activity of alignment is an activity that has been specified by the governance area that says, Mr. CIO, you will, on an annual basis, create this type of artifact that shows alignment of the business with your information and applications portfolios. The design functions are governance organization, however that's instantiated. We'll then have some policies and processes to design and build, some controls to specify appoint and make sure that stewards or caretakers of the data or people that touch the data are properly trained. On the actual doing side, it's managing our metadata, managing our data models, designing and installing the data controls uh, that have been specified for us. You have management functions on the governance side. You have oversight of the various activities that are supporting stewardship. Are people getting trained? Are audits happening? Are issues being resolved in the proper fashion? Is upper management being escalated to or informed properly? Are our measurements of governance happening? We're now managing information in terms of updating and reading and doing all those things we like to do with information. We're managing projects. They could be a BI project, a data quality project. Those are projects that are being managed. The data governance group isn't doing those, isn't managing those, and that's the separation of duties. The last thing is just the operating. Now, that's where when you're engineering these, you have to be very specific in your organization as to what a steward really does. The stewardship is an area where you really need to carefully and specifically create and design what's happening down there and in what situations that role is being carried out. In some organizations, the steward is tilted more towards an oversight, more towards, did you execute those controls? Did you do your data quality profiling? In other organizations, the person that is called a steward is the one that sits down and actually corrects mistakes. Either run a department that, quote unquote, cleans up master data. Now I know what data steward means in that organization. It's not over on that oversight side. It's on the actual doing side. 
As long as you know where those roles are responsibilities and are they oversight or are they execution, as long as we know that, we now have a clear crystal picture and a clear functional deployment of the data governance business program. I really like the delineation of those two sides and the way that that breaks down. And and I love the point you had made earlier that data governance is about what are the right things to do versus information management is how to do things right. A lot of times people talk about guiding principles for a data governance program. What exactly are these principles? A principle is a statement of philosophy. So as such, it has to be at a high level, and it has to be something that an entire organization can adopt. So if you have a principle that says, we'll have one single source of customer data, that's not an enterprise-wide statement of philosophy. That's a policy. So you have to be very careful because when an organization adopts a principle, it is by definition enterprise-wide. It cannot be localized. So principles, first and foremost, a statement of philosophy that will be used to guide the formation of policies and processes and standards in the organization. So they have to be high level and very, very directional and draw a very firm boundary about what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. The best metaphor I have for those is the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution. The first 10 amendments are very, very principle-based statements. They're not law. They're not behavior. They're statements of principle. And, And that's what I'm talking about when you talk about data principles. I like that distinction is that we need principles before policies and essentially philosophy before rule. That's the way the human mind works. If I can build a framework that I can work within, I'm going to be more effective. Principles and beliefs form the behavior of the society. But if you just go in and say, here's some rules, stick with them, eventually that society falls apart. It is no different with a data governance program. Well, I think also the aspect there, too, is that when people are just given rules without giving any framework of understanding why these rules are the rules, that's where people get a hard time with either trying to rigidly follow the rules because they don't understand why do we have these rules? What are we trying to do? And if they don't understand the why, then the only thing that they can do is follow the rules to the letter, and they won't know when to bend the rule to meet the situation if they don't understand the principle behind the rule. Exactly. You actually handicap your organization and you diminish their abilities by just starting with rules because every time you turn around, you're going to need another rule to deal with the exception. But if you start with a principle, you've given everyone a playing field that they know what the high-level rules are and you can be creative within the playing field. The metaphor I like comes from Aristotle. He was fascinated with how stonemasons in ancient Greece used rulers because a straight-edge ruler was useless when you were carving a column of marble. So what they did is they created rulers that were made out of lead, because it was a flexible metal, and this actually became the precursor of the modern-day tape measure. So they bent the ruler around the column so that they could measure it correctly. And Aristotle thought that that was a great metaphor for laws, being flexible enough for people to understand the principle of the law so that when they needed to bend it to the situation, they were still referring to the principle without breaking the underlying law. They understood both the principle and the policies. So for data governance policies needing to be like lead rulers, we need to know both the principle and not just the rule. Right. Very good. I like that. 
John, can you provide us with a few examples of a data governance principle? One of my favorites is the business alignment principle. Information management solutions will maintain business alignment and will be only in response to business needs versus business area requests. So what this says is that whenever anyone does something with information, it is priority that it meets the business needs. And if someone just asks for something, that's not going to be the driver. Now think about what this principle does. First of all, it removes the CIO from that unenviable position of having to be a 100% service-based organization. I want a file with this on it and get me that file. And you're the CIO and that's your job. And you do that four or 500 times and you get the data messes that we have now. But you got a CIO that's been delivering the following rules. If you have a principle that says, you know, we're not going to do that. The business needs dictate that we have, say, golden copies defined, and that's what you're going to go use, and we're not going to just spit out a file because you ask. Another one would be standardization type principle, that you're going to have guidelines and standards for all of your critical data needs. And you can define them as metrics, indicators, data structures, uh, those kinds of things. When you say that, you're accepting at an enterprise level that one-off versions of things are now unacceptable. Thanks for those two excellent examples, John. As a quick summary, leveraging the material provided in John's excellent data governance book, remember that principles are statements of philosophy. Think of them as four beliefs that form the anchor for all policies and behaviors around information management. And also remember the relationship between a principle and a policy. A policy is a statement of a selected course of action in high-level description of desired behavior to achieve a set of goals. However, it is too easy for new data governance functions to spew policy without any substance. The real essence of policy is that it is a codification of principles. Policies are enforceable processes. Principles tend to be too lofty to enforce directly. You're listening to OCDQ Radio, a vendor-neutral podcast about data quality and its related disciplines from the Obsessive Compulsive Data Quality Blog, produced by Jim Harris. Visit ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast for more information about OCDQ Radio. And now, back to the show. On this episode of OCDQ Radio, we are discussing data governance with John Ladley, author of a new book, about how to design, deploy, and sustain an effective data governance program. As our conversation continues, we will focus on one of the most important roles associated with a data governance program, data stewardship, as John helps us to understand what exactly a data steward does. Data stewards do whatever you assign to that label. There's a real strong argument to make that everyone in an organization is a data steward. If you formally adopt governance and information management and treat information as an asset, you've adopted a mindset that says everybody that gets a paycheck with the company name in the corner is a steward. And that's steward in the classic definition of being a caretaker. It means you have responsibility and accountability for the health and well-being of a something. But that's very generic. That doesn't help anyone do their job. A lot of organizations have turned the data steward into someone who's very operational. I'm not arguing that the title is wrong, 
you have to step back and you have to look at the context that you're using information that you're thinking is subject to governance in light of how it's being used. Information is very, very different based on its context. If I have customer number and customer number is being used in the context of entering a transaction, if I have the customer number wrong, then the wrong customer gets the debit balance or we get customer not found. But we have an operational aspect to that. If I'm counting customers, if I want to know how many customers I have, and I define customers as, say, two feet walking the face of the earth, that's a different context. It could be that the person entering orders, the customer is whoever we're shipping product to. And I could be one person walking the face of the earth and have five or six addresses that you ship to. If you look at my Amazon account, you'll see about 12 addresses. Well, that's family and vacation homes and places where I've had to mail books to myself at conferences. So from that standpoint, am I 12 customers to Amazon or one? Yes, both are absolutely correct. There is no such thing as one definition of customer. Therefore, there can be no such thing as one definition of steward for a subject area like customer because the context and the usage are so different. It's impossible. And to say that, oh, hey, Marvin over there, who's VP of marketing, since they get the customers, well, he's the steward. All you have is Marvin's context of customer. You don't have an operational view. Uh, you don't have a sustaining view. You just have the marketing-based view, which is, I got a customer. That's it. You've got one little part of your whole business life cycle or your business model. So stewardship is a function of several things. Usually it's a function of context. In the book, I have a simple illustrative matrix where the context are an external view, a cross-functional view, and a departmental view of a particular piece of information. That same piece of information views an event or a transaction or as a domain or like a subject area. So if I apply it to customer, what's the external view of customer? What's the cross-functional view of customer? What's the departmental view or departments, NTS, apostrophe, view of customer? That's the operational. And then there's the aspect of it. What about those same visibilities, but if it's as a domain or, or as a master file? So I have a two-by-three matrix. So I have six possible stewards. And we have very often in really large organizations or really complex organizations, come up with models where a subject area can have as many as nine quote-unquote stewards. Now, that's where you get into the problem is what is a steward? So just to wrap up, first of all, with the word steward is forget about it for a while. Design what you need. Design the roles, responsibilities, accountabilities you need. Then assign the title to somebody. Second point, in my ideal view, everyone's a steward. Nobody should have a title as the steward. Everyone is a steward and then find some appropriate label for the various roles and accountabilities that these other people have. Bottom line is stewardship is complicated. You just don't assign somebody and say, go forth and be a steward and take care of things because they don't have any idea what to do if you do that to them. This goes back to the standardization principle of you can't just say, hey, you're a steward if you don't clearly define what that term means or even to your point, you don't even have to use that term Whatever you want to call people, you have to make sure that the roles and responsibilities and accountability are well-defined to people before you just throw them into that role. Yeah. A really common error is you start to gain the governance program, you get the green light, and you say, okay, these are the people that should be on the council, and these are the people that should be the stewards, and you get them together for a meeting, and you might even do some training or something like that, and then you send them out. You've given them no context whatsoever on how to behave. You've given them some rules 
They don't have the principles because you haven't started from a principled standpoint, because if you had, you wouldn't have done it like this in the first place. So you've really got to make that effort. It's only fair to the people that you're going to assign these roles and responsibilities to that you put some thought into this and appropriately label the roles and responsibilities that are culturally acceptable in the organization, fit into things, and easy for people to grasp and move forward with. You're listening to OCDQ Radio, a vendor-neutral podcast about data quality and its related disciplines from the Obsessive Compulsive Data Quality blog produced by Jim Harris. Visit ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast for more information about OCDQ Radio. And now, back to the show. On this episode of OCDQ Radio, we are discussing data governance with John Ladley, author of a new book about how to design, deploy, and sustain an effective data governance program. In the final segment of our discussion, John Ladley provides three critical success factors for data governance. The first one is, I call this Jedi governance. All right. <laughs> I came up with the name after I wrote the book, and that is governance eventually has to be like the force. It has to flow in and around and through everything. There's a common mistake, and I started to make this mistake myself early on, and I was corrected by a person who is our organization change management expert, and that is so you don't change cultures. What you do is change behaviors within a culture. Data governance needs to end up being manifested as behavior changes. So in essence, it needs to disappear. In a perfect world, data governance would not be a big deal. It would not be pointed to as, oh, that's the data governance organization over there. Everyone would behave with the information and data as they're supposed to with minimal need for brute force adjustments of their behavior. Just look at any other corporate policy, such as expense reports. You would not go out on a business trip for your organization and say, I don't want to stay at the Motel 6. I'm going to book at the Four Seasons and get a massage because your expense report is not going to be paid, right? <laughs> um, but people don't even do that because they know it is built into their behaviors. And that's where you want to be. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have to have some auditing and some oversight, obviously, over time. But you really want to have that mindset that it disappears. The second success factor is if you don't manage the behavior changes, it's not going to stick. You have to manage behavior changes within your culture. This is often called culture change management or change management. The thing you've got to remember is culture will eat strategy for lunch. That's an oft-used quote in the world of organization development, organizational change management. You've got to remember that. If you don't formally architect and orchestrate people's behavior changes in a kind, productive, and beneficial manner, this sucker will snap back and hit you in the face, and it will not stick. I have reached the point with our practice, and this is the gosh honest truth, that we get to a point where they say, here is another 400 discrete tasks on a project plan, but these are all related to organization change management. We're going to have some training programs. We're going to have some good communication plan. We're going to coach your stakeholders. We're going to coach your sponsors. We're going to do all those good things that are done. And we get, well, thank you for the policies and the principles and all that kind of stuff. But we just want you to do that. We're just going to send out a memo on Monday morning, and it's going to say everyone has to go along with this because it's really important. And at that point, we will leave the client. 
We have fired clients because they have just failed. And this is the absolute truth. They have just failed. The very last phase in the methodology we step through in a book is sustain. It's not a doing phase. It's a keep it running phase. And it goes on forever. It never, never ends until you've totally acculturated data governance as a new behavior. The last success factor, data governance, even if it started as a standalone, it has to be tied to a visible business benefit. A lot of organizations say, let's do data governance. And there's all these projects out there that are just happening and coming and going. And some of them, like little supernova, they flare and disappear. And and then there's other projects that are black holes. You just keep pouring stuff into them and nothing ever comes out. And then you have the data governance over here on the side. You need to strap data governance onto one of those because data governance is, by definition, an enterprise concept. It's an enterprise initiative. I'm adamant on the fact that you can do governance as a proof of concept in a certain area by tying it to a project. That's fine. But it has to be accepted that this proof of concept is one little iteration of the acceptance by the entire organization that governance is is necessary. So your third success factor is find something to explicitly show where governance really has created value. If it's not going to explicitly show some value, it's not going to sustain itself. It, It can't. It's impossible. So find the value, find the money, tie yourself to that, and you'll be amazed at how many other people want to do this governance thing because you were tied to a successful project. Well, if you want to know how to do this governance thing, I would follow the suggestion of Jedi Master Yoda, who says, buy John Ladley's book on data governance, you should. (laughs) We have been pleased to have an opportunity to speak with John Ladley, author of a new book, about how to design, deploy, and sustain an effective data governance program. John, thank you so much for joining us today on OCDQ Radio. And thank you so much for having me. I look forward to the next time. Thank you for listening to OCDQ Radio. Go to ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast, where you can find links to the blog post summaries of every episode ways to subscribe to OCDQ Radio via iTunes and a non-iTunes RSS feed, and a link to listen to OCDQ Radio on your mobile device with Stitcher Smart Radio. And you will find ways to contact me, Jim Harris, via Twitter, LinkedIn, and email. So be sure to visit ocdqblog.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening to OCDQ Radio. And until next time, may the data quality be with you, always.